I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now, still believing in God, than have them grow up under communism and one day die no longer believing in God. Okay, welcome to The Left is Dead. This is a new political podcast for end times, and uh, this is our humble attempt to uh, forestall the, the coming theocracy or Christo-fascist state, whatever you want to call it, that the right wing seems so good at, uh, at perfecting in recent decades. And um, so, yeah, we're not, uh, me and my co-hosts, we're not uh, Soros-paid uh, provocateurs. Uh, we're just kind of bored and mildly depressed, uh, sometimes more than mildly depressed. And, I'm always depressed. Yeah, and it, yeah, I'm, I'm always depressed, too. And uh, I know the first thing that occurs to your head right now is probably not excitement over a political podcast because so many people feel their lives are already inundated in politics it's everywhere it's in our sports it's in our cereal it's all over the place but there's a reason for that of course it's because uh, politics is the reflection of our ethical decisions that we make and it's coming home to roost now decisions we made in the past are 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 now coming back to haunt us so you might not be thinking to yourself, I want to listen to this podcast someday, but I've got news for you. You you already are listening to it. You're here. So grab a, a beer or a coffee or whatever you use to relax and sit down and let's talk about some left-wing stuff because uh, we're going to pour a weekly vial of elixir into your mouth. Joining us is my uh, co-host, which we're very fortunate to have because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm kind of an artist, creative thinker, and typically I've read and digested history as it relates to something I'm researching or writing. But I've never had a strong grasp of history. But my co-host, Jim Carrey, uh, does, and... He is here with us, and I'm very excited to get this going, man. How are you doing, Jim? I'm good. Uh, don't give me too much credit for history, but I mean, I, yeah, I like to study history. Um, but at the same time, I mean, what we're really going to be talking about is in the future here, history will go into it, but we're going to be talking about uh, basically the way that like neoliberalism and the culture war has sus- has sus- subsume society and that we're all victims to it you know so history will play into it and how we got here will play into it but um we've come a long way in the last 20 years which we're going to talk about tonight to just kind of introduce things Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time like we are going to be the podcast that dissects what neoliberalism is what this new like paleoconservative right wing is and what exactly the left wing is from democratic socialists to like straight up anarchists sure so absolutely we're yeah we're, get, we're gonna we're gonna get really into that i think it's important uh a lot of these words are thrown around a lot on social media uh, particularly neoliberal that word is invoked a lot and a lot of times i feel like people even 
don't really have a full understanding of what it means, what it doesn't mean, and also how neoliberalism has basically merged to some extent with uh, neoconservatism in terms of, uh, and what we're going to get more into this, but you know, right. we, we've seen kind of a merger of neoliberal free market economic policies with, uh, you know, the war machine, basically. The neoconservative war machine that started with Bush, or not started with Bush, good God, but was really thrown into uh, fourth gear kind of uh, with, with, with 9-11. And uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of view this as, I mean, we're doing this because I think we're going to have fun doing it. And I think that that sheer joy is going to spread to the listener. I, I view it as kind of like a, this will be like a cathartic, satirical elimination event each week where we purge ourselves from disinformation, propaganda, uh, groupthink. Uh, or we dive deeper into it, one of the two. Or dive deeper into it, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, we're going to poison our minds so other people <laughs> don't have to. Yeah, we're gonna take. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like a, a vaccine. Uh, yeah. God knows, I don't want to get in get into vaccines, but uh, isn't that what a vaccine is? It's, it's you get a little bit sick. Uh, you get you get uh, the you get sick from the vaccine, and then it no, purges you. We're going no? to get very sick, my friend. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Good. All right, so we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be like stage four, and hopefully we can pull ourselves back we're gonna be ingesting the poison directly and reporting it back to whoever the fuck wants to listen to this so we're going to freebase poison uh, yeah we're gonna crush up poison tablets on our desks with a credit card and then use a dollar bill to snort it into our nostrils that beautiful internet brain rot that has hit so many of your like boomer family members and your apolitical like high school friends, mm-hmm. we're gonna dive deep into that and melt our brains or make them <laughs> smooth so our fucking audience doesn't have to. And right. in the future, we want to bring on guests who will also help fucking sand our brains down further. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I uh, I like I like all of these metaphors, and frankly, I don't think they're euphemisms. I think these are actual, literal statements. Uh, yeah, we're gonna be some kind of pilled by like episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll create a I new don't know like. What, wait, I don't know a, what one. There, there's, there's, of course, red pilled, which the, the the very mention of makes me nauseous because I'm so sick of hearing it. Right. But then there's there's what there's black pilled. I forget there's what is black pilled. There's Q pilled. There's fucking. So maybe there's we'll, all types of pills. We'll we'll pill pill it. We're gonna look. We're gonna be pilled on something, but at least like by the fucking baker's dozen episode of this show, we'll be pilled. Don't worry about it, folks. Yeah, (laughs) pilled would actually be a good name for something. All right, I'm getting off track here already. Already. Why don't we start with um? Let's go back to when we. I I guess. uh, Do you want to talk about when we met, or do you want to start like with our little? Yes. um, Yes. And. I, I wish that, I you know, part of me wishes me and you had a a better origin story in terms of how we met, like you know, like something from like the Deer Hunter where we were like uh, playing Russian roulette together and we had those like red uh, uh, headbands and you know playing Russian roulette like some something really epic like that. But well, the reality on, is, on the yeah. trip where I met you, I did like take. LSD from a complete stranger. Really? 
Yeah, and gave it to the editor of the anti-media, so. (laughs) (laughs) The owner of the anti-media, so it's. Yes, and that's, and and that is, that is where our our paths intersected, is, is uh, anti-media, for for those of you who don't know, was uh, a really uh, brilliant, uh, independent uh, website that. It's uh, incredible to think about. The fact that it like basically does not exist now. I know it 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 it, it kills me, man. It it I was depressed I, for years about that, and I've uh, aggregated for it in the late stages. But yeah, it, it people who don't know anti media will not understand how big of a presence it was. How big was a massive social especially around media, like twenty fourteen? Incredible social media articles that would just go incredibly uh, viral, and and. It was an early example of, I think, responsible independent journalism. Uh, it was not clickbaity, uh, really, to an extent. Like I, I think sometimes everyone can get into uh, clickbait, but th- this was, uh, you know, really hard-hitting journalism from a wide variety of viewpoints. That's what I loved most about right. it. Right. Is when were... I came. Go ahead. When I came in, when I met you. I had come to California with anti-media journalists at the time turned anti-Semite, which I'll say maybe Jake doesn't back that. I came with Claire Burnish. Oh, um, right. That's in- okay. I wasn't and expecting at that to time, go down anti-media this hole so quickly. Was, yeah. Anti-media was investigating uh, the water privatization in California. And uh-huh, yeah. there was money to do such things, but then as the election went on, everyone was cut off, and independent media was destroyed. Yeah, they they. And I met really... you in that brief period right before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and, uh, and everyone so... was making a ton of money, but there wasn't the Russian interference story yet. Right. And and that you know one of the great things about uh, anti media and uh, specifically Nick Burnaby is. He's a very gracious and generous dude. Like he, he really practiced what he preached. He shared the wealth. Uh, if it, you know, journalists that had an article go viral uh, would get paid. Uh, you know, relative to that. Based like, on, I, I, yeah, exactly. I had an article yeah. about conspiracy theories. It was uh, uh, like top ten conspiracy theories that turned out to be true. And uh, I, I seriously made like five hundred bucks off that one article, and because he yeah, it he, wasn't it wasn't capitalism because you saw the actual profit from your article. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, and 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 right. <laughs> and here's the thing about that: like uh, that ended because uh, well, basically what happened is is after. It was already starting to kind of go down before the election, right? But, but the 2016 election really turbocharged this, uh, you know, idea that that, we'll call that, it that shortly. Russia get yeah, and 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 this is actually an issue that I think me and you could probably have a pretty pretty good debate on because I've gone back and forth on on different parts of it, but I will say uh, for sure that this article was at one point, if you typed in conspiracy theories in Google, it was literally the first, second, or third actual result, okay? Like, that's how, that's how good the, uh, Nick had gotten at 
you know, playing with the algorithm. And um, it was just, it's part of, uh, you know, part of running a website now is you have to know how to aggregate things in, in, in the right. right way to hit, hit those, to ping those, those search engines, you know, and he did an incredible job of that, mostly because uh, Facebook, uh, of course, was the, the, his, his vessel. But, uh, dude, I, that I, I was, I was proud of, of that, of that article, how, uh, you know, I talked about things like, you know, Operation Gladio and just, you know, weird kind of, um, kind of weird actual false flag events that have happened in history that that are usually not talked about and when people talk about false flags they'll talk about all kinds of crazy shit but uh well, this but this but this it 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 ranked really high and now dude it's literally like within a year of that it's not even forget being in the first few results it's not even the first few pages like google and their their algorithmic updates completely shut out alternative media and totally prioritize corporate websites. Well, what's funny is that like after anti media and stuff were like banned from Google results or like downranked, then sites like mine, Geopolitics Alert, started ranking. But when they realized like those were also against the like mainstream narrative, they would stop us from ranking too or like pull our ad dollars from like certain articles and stuff. Sure. Yeah, they did everything. They deplatformed. They've done they, Yeah, even post twenty sixteen. I mean, we were small in twenty sixteen and grew after and they still punished us in the same ways. Yeah. Total algorithmic censorship. And and here's what pisses me off the most about it. It's that uh, now there's this ecosystem of basically mostly it's right wingers now complaining about algorithmic censorship. Uh, they're constantly bitching about uh, ghost bans on Twitter and just you yeah. know constant YouTube. That's all they do is bitch about uh, censorship, and it, and it's because <laughs> quite I mean quite honestly there are a lot of horrible white nationalist bigots out there that I don't give a shit if they get deplatformed. If you're going to put out hate speech, I don't really give a shit. Uh, that's, you don't, you don't, you have a constitutional right to say what you want. You don't have a constitutional right to be amplified to a million people with the social media platform. You know, that's it's not even so much that it's just that like the fucking independent quote unquote, you know, media outlets available to you now that are like right wing and shit. It's the fact that, like, they're allowed to run free. They have no paywalls. And, right. like, people complain about being shadow banned, but they're shadow banned because they're literally sharing stories that aren't real. Mm -hmm. You know? That's yeah. the biggest problem with, like, the right-wing takeover of, like, social media and shit. Is like, these stories aren't real. Mm -hmm. Like, the fucking Breitbart, like, black crime section. Oh, like, my God. Bright, Breitbart. That's is not real. Sorry. It's, they seriously just make shit up. It's right. unbelievable. Like, I don't know if they have that anymore, but I do know that, like, when Ben Shapiro used to write at Breitbart, they had, like, just a section that was, like, black on black crime. <laughs> and yeah. And that's it's, free to read no matter what, but I can't get, like, more than three Washington Post articles in a month. So I know. I know. It's mainstream media. The, the, the state of 
journalism uh, with regards to internet publishing is is a huge issue. We we could probably devote an entire show. Yeah, to we'll that. go into that another time. But um, that's that's how we met is through anti media, and um, I was writing for them. You were doing what aggregation, and then uh, I was working at um, Pontiac Tribune. At yeah, time. Pontiac Tribune. Yeah, that was a project at the time before it was bought up by Fifth Column. But um, I yeah, like, I like Pontiac Tribune and I like uh, geo geopolitics alert. And uh, yeah, I dig your I dig your work. I, I so I was I was happy to meet you at the time. And uh, I, didn't, I don't think either of us realized that we'd be doing a podcast together. Uh, no, I mean, let's talk about when we like the time period of when we met. It was the end of the Obama presidency. Right. Mm-hmm. We were at a point where even, uh, you know, um, I thought, like, maybe Ted Cruz. Burnaby thought um, Marco Rubio. Nobody yeah. believed, like, Donald Trump would be Right, I remember that. He, uh, I think Nick actually, I think we almost bet money. I think he wanted to bet that Mark Rubio was going to win. Yeah, he was very convinced of Rubio. I thought maybe, like, Ted Cruz is, like, a concession to, like, the far right of the party or something. Mm-hmm. And that did almost happen. He was second place, you know? I can't remember who I thought was going to. I think I was, yeah, I don't even remember. But I, I, I think I was, God, it's so weird thinking back on that time now. Like, so, Kasich, man. I, I actually think Kasich, Kasich was, my, was the guy I thought was going to win. But <laughs> it's crazy to think back on that time now, man. So much has changed. Yeah, in, this year in, he's in at the DNC. What's that? This year he was at the DNC. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. I, I know. K, it's It's... It's nuts. It's nuts. And, and, and we can talk about that when we, when we get more into kind of the, the merger of the neoliberals and neoconservatives. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think uh, how much has changed since, uh, since 2016. Um, and beyond that, I mean, really where, like, both of us kind of started, I would say, you know, the big impactful event that hit everybody is 9-11 of course right but you were what you were in college at the time yeah i was uh, i was home for a break uh yeah so i went to uh university of california santa cruz which had a very late fall uh start to the fall mm-hmm. uh to the fall yeah, no semester shit. Very late, like they. I, I remember it. It didn't start. I was already back in school. September twentieth or something like that, which is pretty much a month later than than most most schools. So yeah. I was. I had just finished my first year, and I was starting my second year. But I was still in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember. You know, I think I had just gotten home from McDonald's <laughs> with. Uh, wait, no, 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 no. That was the next day. That was the next day. I just wanted to. I just wanted to reference our our corporate sponsor, McDonald's, and make sure to get that in there. Uh, and the nine twelve movement, <laughs> sponsored by Glenn Beck. But yeah, nine eleven turbocharged. Uh, uh, you know, it it created uh, basically the the modern surveillance security state that has just you know subsumed essentially everything, including the private sector at this point. Um, it, it paved the way for the Patriot Act, of course, and, right. and, and essentially... There's a direct path from 9-11 to, like, Trump being able to abduct people off the streets. 
Yes. Let's. You know. Yes. That's, uh, go, talk about that for a minute. What do you What do you mean exactly? Well, well I mean that's a huge like, um, like shaping point of like my youth too. Is like I wasn't necessarily like a truther or anything like that, but I was like anti-war. And obviously, by the time I had like grown into my teenage years, like the Iraq War was incredibly unpopular. You know, two thousand six, I was sixteen, which was like the surge. So everything was already incredibly unpopular. But um, it was this, you know, people like Generation Z, the Zoomers won't remember like the super hyper patriotic attitude and like the hyper xenophobia and shit like that that happened after 9-11. Absolutely. Um, That really sold everyone on this idea of like, I would rather be secure than free. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that really like developed through Obama, through like the NDAA and shit like that. And then like the war on terror itself also expanded through Obama through like the drone wars, which has been expanded even more via Trump. You know, all of these things are a direct result of what happened after 9-11. And the, I mean, even the war in Syria is technically fought under the same clearance that we have to like fight Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. Right. So these laws that were made in like our early our earliest political years are still affecting the fucking state that we live in now. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's uh... strange to think about, and and it's like I like I said I wasn't a truther, but I was definitely anti-war. And then as I got older, I definitely realized like, oh, there's Saudi involvement in this. But you were a truther, right? I, I I was for a while. Now I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of not anymore. Uh, well, more so because. Uh, well, I just basically uh, I, I I still think uh, probably one of the more you know realistic uh, analyses of it is that they you know these were all like these were assets that used to work with the CIA. Uh, the uh, Obamas, right. uh, not Obama, Jesus, Osama bin Laden's people. So my my feeling was, and this happens a lot, uh, you know, terrorists that are basically double agents will then turn on on their host country, uh, you know, after doing some work for them. Uh, I, I think it's quite possible the government knew and just kind of let it happen. And the reason I feel like, you know, obviously that's not an original thought, but I, I, I feel like um, if you look at what it paved the way for, um, you know, with a crime, you look at means and motive. Uh, those, those, those are the two of the biggest things, okay? Uh, right. This is an incredibly expensive operation. So I felt like this felt like uh, hardcore CIA. And then motive, look, look at what they were able to do as a result of it. Uh, the Patriot Act and the surveillance state that followed really – I don't think could have happened without an event like 9/11, and then no. you have you have these these right wing think tanks like Project for a New American Century, that all of them were a part of Wolf Wolfowitz Cheney Rumsfeld, then they they directly came right out and said that we that we need a a Pearl Harbor type event in order to start the next kind of century of foreign policy, um, and so but again. Uh, 
I've always felt that we don't know the full story of what's going on. I think you're probably right that this was probably more of a Saudi operation. And I'm not really a truther anymore because I just don't, I, I, I just think there's more important uses of that kind of skeptical analysis. I'd rather use it for, for, for different things. And, you know, also like I've, I've seen uh, explanations, I've listened to explanations of like how, you know, could could the buildings really have fallen right. at free fall speed? I used to think it was impossible listening to some engineers talk about it. Maybe it's not impossible. Who knows? The answer is I don't fucking know, and I'm never going to know. Uh, right. So I don't want to spend my time uh, being, being a truther. But What yes. about all the Jews who got phone calls that morning? All the who? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. I don't endorse that. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Jews, <laughs> Just Jews, be clear. Jews, Jews called in sick to work. Yeah, no, no. You're, you're, you're essentially mocking the people that would argue like that. And we, we know Seth a lot. Farland probably got a call though. We needed thirty more seasons of Family Guy, and the CIA knew that. But, but your your joke is is spot on in terms of uh, there was a, a large uh, faction of conspiratorial uh thinkers who basically got wrapped up in this kind of new narrative of anti-semitism that that spawned from that you know the whole uh small cabal of jews running the world that you know that's been a yeah it's been, it's been a, a, a conspiracy theory for for millennia basically yeah obviously it's been around forever but now it's an even more useful tool with like the existence of the state of israel right wing like kooks who blame mm -hmm. everything on like a cabal of jews is very right. handy for israel because any like uh condemnation of zionist policy or like the zionist project can be like oh you're a crank you right know? absolutely yeah it's, it's kind of it's... been like the last 20 years basically since the war on terror started because israel was the one there like oh we told you you know mm -hmm. but still like no i don't subscribe to any of that bullshit i don't you know yeah, the world is infinitely more complex than that, and the complexities are what make somebody like you or I depressed. Right, <laughs> right. You know, very depressed. That's, that's the cause of my depression. Is like the people who post like the save the children hashtag, and I'm like, man, the world's so much more like depressing than just this. Yeah, this it's, story it's... you fashioned for yourself. You know, stale, interconnecting bureaucracies of sociopaths trying to make money, you know, right. At the end of the day, that's what runs the world. It's not, you know, a satanic Luciferian. Uh, no, even, even the Epstein thing is pretty cut and dry. You <laughs> know, this guy procured children that powerful people had sex with and he recorded them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. CIA or Mossad. That, that that's that's everyone know i mean anyone who really thinks about it has to know if you look at it, it no one knows how this guy got his money this guy was obviously a professional no. blackmailer he he was he was getting the goods on high powered ceos leaders of other countries so that they could get them to do what they want it's is these are old tactics this has been going on for a very very long time Honestly, uh, the first few episodes we need something on epstein Oh, yeah, we're going to... We should talk. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in, like, a very near future episode.
Yeah, because no, you're I, right. The idea of like this guy who had like a hedge fund that only took billionaire clients, even though he had no money, he had no qualifications. He became a high school teacher in an elite prep school. He was handpicked by Les Wexner and all that type of shit. You know? Yeah. This is a long episode. Yeah. That was, Epstein that, that. is definitely like a mystery character who very much looks like a fucking intelligence asset. Absolutely. And and it's it's quite easily one of the most uh vexing conspiracy theories in modern times. I mean, even the uh the the dude who runs reason.com, like a guy who literally just basically doesn't believe in any conspiracy theories, even he is like, oh, God, all right, yeah, he was killed by someone because he knew too much. I mean... Yeah, they're very beltway at reason. Yeah, and... They're very much creatures of DC. And, uh, you know, a lot of people on... You know, the one of the things about the Epstein case that I think is so fascinating is that both the left and the right, it's a rare issue where both the left and the right... Uh, agree basically like they 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 ascribe different motives and right. when when, he, when they get down into the the details they might differ but 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 it really is one of those conspiracy theories that is that is uh equally harbored on the left as the right uh well, and- we'll definitely talk about it in a future episode but yeah the right just has like expanded on epstein to like make it a like satanic panic thing Whereas the left understands that, like, wealth corrupts people, you know? It is so fascinating to me that you just use satanic panic because I had that that phrase written down and I was going to use it to talk about, when we start talking about communism, uh, I was going to talk about how the satanic panic of the 80s uh, very much involved a, a kind of hysteria over... Uh, over communism being the antithesis of freedom, you know? Right. And that was drilled into everyone's brain the same way that our generation was uh, kind of indoctrinated by these uh, surveillance security state uh, propaganda that that started after 9-11. Kids of the 80s were absolutely straight-up brainwashed to think communism is... is, uh, is uh, the same as Nazism, which is something I still hear uh, people. I still see oh, me- yeah. memes of of not necessarily alt right, but but uh, right wing anarchists who 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 believe that communism is uh, equally evil as Nazism, with it, which is just absolutely insane uh, to you know to compare um, states uh, that have had policies that have failed in spectacular fashion to compare that with the purposeful uh, genocide of, of, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that people would make uh, that comparison. I mean, that's really another episode topic right there. Is sure, the absolutely. There, yeah. there needs to be a difference drawn between the two because people think that, like, the right wing has pushed this argument. They're like, oh, these are the same things. You know, and, like, they have no explanation for, like, why Hitler killed all the Social Democrats or Mm -hmm. why the Soviet Union was the one who defeated Nazi Germany. You know, like, they don't have an explanation for that. Their only, like, answer is, like, yeah, they both had socialism in the name, so they're the same. 
Yeah, it's a talking point for uh, what's that group uh, online? It's uh, something university, but it's basically just like right wing propaganda. But they Prager. Prager, yeah. Oh God, I hate Prager. I hate Prager. Dennis Prager wrote a two part article about how like if your wife won't have sex with you, it's your right to like rape her. So fuck Dennis Prager. God, that's just yeah. These are the right-wing sickos who are going to tell you, like, what communism is. You're going right. to trust some guy who says it's okay to rape your wife. Exactly. Mm. And these, these people that <laughs> no are thanks. now, now going to be controlling the Supreme Court now as well, which is... a are like um, Walwell Jr. I wanted to circle back around to, uh, you know, because we're in the middle of this kind of, uh, what I, I would call a right-wing takeover. I mean... They, you know, uh, I mean, Democrats took the House back, um, but in many ways, when you consider that we're living under minority rule, um, it's it's incredible. And I remember a time, you know, a time back when, you know, to to return to Obama, the Obama years. So when he when he first got into office in 2008, uh, liberals controlled all three branches of government. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that did they still have a liberal majority on the Supreme Court as well? Or am I wrong? I believe with Sotomayor they did, but I don't know what year that happened. Okay. But regardless, uh, it wouldn't have mattered on we, most things. I thought, and I think a lot of people thought, uh, that, okay, we're finally, after seeing eight years of, of Bush and the neoconservative, just having their way with with policy and just going to work on on uh, decades worth of of pipe dream conservative pipe dreams i thought we were finally going to get our revenge on conservatives who at least strategically in in terms of game theory are perhaps you know just zero sum wins and losses they seem to consistently outmaneuver liberals and get what they want. They, they, they can lose the popular vote and still get the presidency time and time again. They can redraw, yeah. district, they can redraw district lines to get more representations. Their senators uh, re- represent, you know, like what, 15 million fewer citizens or something like that, but they have equal, yeah. equal representations. And so I finally thought, okay, we're finally going to get someone in office who's going to knock knock all the mailboxes off the posts and just take over the neighborhood. Uh, maybe, you know, I thought liberals can finally get in there and do some real left-wing damage. But what we realized, what, what liberals or leftists of, of all stripes realized was that that wasn't going to happen. Pre- pretty early on, it became clear that we were essentially going to get a recast of, of the same playbook uh, and this is where we get into that merger of, you know, at the time was like a newly burgeoning surveillance security state uh, and the free market neoliberal economics. Um, and even with a full majority, their only major success was a heavily compromised healthcare bill um, that, that pe- it, it, people call it socialist or communist, which is just the most laughable thing ever right. when it's 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 a deeply capitalistic healthcare bill it essentially forces people to buy healthcare plans well, it you know created a market where there wasn't one right exactly it, 
it literally created a marketplace where there was not one previously and forced you to be in that marketplace. Right. It's, so it's, the, got another, it's the same yeah. as like the capitalist, like making you decide like, well, I don't want a job or I don't want to eat, you know, what right. choice. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's, it's an example and there's many examples of uh, just incredible misunderstandings of what socialism and communism really are and 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 how they're applied to to our government because in in many ways uh we already have socialism in this country uh in in many different ways we have it that's what fucking social security is uh it's what all of the a lot of the biggest developments from from the new deal were uh, very much rooted and 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 you know that president Roosevelt he came in and he he was not he was really kind of a moderate when he got in office. Well, at the uh, end of the day, those are anti-communist policies, which we'll get into a little bit later. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that's that's a, a perspective <laughs> I I haven't heard before. But in fact, before we dive too far into this, I mean, let's we'll talk about it in a minute here. Let's go through. We'll go through some of our interpretations of history, but let's just get into like our personal history a little bit because you have a personal connection to the sort of neoliberal turn because you grew up in the Clinton kingdom, right. Arkansas. Yeah, that's what we call it too, Clinton kingdom. Really? No, no, no not really. But uh, oh, okay, yeah, I just no. threw that shit out there. I don't know. No, I yeah, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I parents moved me there. I, I was born in Montana, Haver, Montana, and then when I was like one, my father uh, took a job at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock, uh, as an English teacher. And my mother uh, soon followed suit, and she got a, te- a job as an English teacher at uh, Conway, which is like thirty miles uh, away from Little Rock, but. Yeah, so I grew up in Little Rock, and Little Rock is an interesting uh, city. I, I I love it. It's my home city, and I, I I love it. I think I think they've done a lot of good things uh, in terms of de- development. It was one of the few cities during the Great Recession that actually um, didn't suffer very much in terms of job losses. Uh, but it's it's this weird uh, anomaly because most of Arkansas, of course, is is a red state. Uh, a deeply right. red state. Um, yeah, it's yeah. A, one of the poorest states in the nation. Uh, I didn't know that. I thought New Mexico was, but uh, which is where I was also living recently. But Arkansas uh, is pretty low. Yeah, well, but, but again, yeah, that's that. That's the anomaly is that Little Rock is so different than the rest of the state, and so you have this incredible. You know, so my family were kind of just blue dog Democrats. Uh, and you know, we, I, I met, I met Clinton, like when, uh, you know, I think it was during the 92 rally. I was just like a little kid and I remember him going, Hey there, son, uh, (laughs) talking to me and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we were for him. I mean, of course, uh, again, another example of, we didn't realize at the time, uh, that the Democrats are, you know, you know, they're, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> I don't really know how I want to describe them here, but I'm going to say that Democrats have taken on this, this, uh, prestige of being, 
the party of the working class. But in many, many ways, it, it is simply just a more empathetic uh, version of, of, of Wall Street, uh, Wall Street interests. And, you know, we didn't realize, of course, that NAFTA was going to happen, that his, his, his horrible crime bills that, that were just terrible for black people were going to come, come through that time. Uh, and so, yeah, I, growing up in that city uh, was interesting uh, because the rest of the state is so hardcore conservative. You know, you had uh, after Jim Guy Tucker got ran out of office for corruption. I can't remember exactly what he did. I, I went to high school with with uh, his daughter and then I went to high school with uh, the next governor's daughter, uh, Huckabee. Uh, I was in oh, high yeah. school. Yeah, I was uh, in. I had, Sarah. I had a couple classes with Sarah Huckabee, and I mentioned. I forgot online, about that. Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She and you know she was. She always seemed like a nice person to me. She was, she was, she was, a, she was a nice person at least in uh, demeanor. Um, you know, and it, you know, I don't like talking shit about kids. Like, kids don't. Kids, first of all, they're molded by their parents to a large extent. And also, they're just their brains aren't formally, uh, fully formed. So I'm not going to sit here and talk shit about someone who was in high school. But now she's not in high school anymore. Yeah. And she's yeah. turned into a absolute monster. And she is a very good chance that she could end up running for office in Arkansas. I think that's what she's trying to do right now. And um, so Arkansas was just this weird uh, class war between, um, you know conservatives and liberals and i mean the the liberal the conservatives there just absolutely hate hate liberals hate the clintons the the hatred for the clintons which in my opinion was the main reason hillary lost is just so much residual hatred I mean, for, for that a family. lot of it's rightfully placed but uh -huh. yeah. some of, some of it is yeah uh some of it definitely is uh but yeah, I mean, we could also do a whole show just on the Clintons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll go there too. But so yeah, that's kind of a little bit my what shaped my thinking growing up. Uh, and then, you know, in college, I kind of, you know, experimented with, you know, psychedelics and just you know, kind of expanded my my thinking a little bit. And then, um, really, to a large degree, the third big shaping influence in my life really was working for anti-media and, 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 uh, you know, becoming a part of that ecosystem of thinkers, uh, like Derek bros and, uh, John vibes and, and you and, uh, you know, our friend, our friend DB. And, and so that really shaped my thinking. In fact, I got pretty radicalized during those years. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like you grew up, uh, in Michigan, right? I mean, I've always been in Michigan. Um, this yeah. is at a time where I was like coming of age. This was a heavily union state, obviously, before the 2008 financial crisis. Right. And I mean, clearly, like everything changed after 9-11, too. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. But after 2008, a lot changed here after like the auto bailouts and everything but i still grew up in a time when like the uaw was very strong in michigan uh this is a state that you know had the upset for bernie sanders against hillary clinton this is the state that right. 
um, pick Jesse Jackson when he was running under the Rainbow Coalition for the Democratic nomination, the only state he managed to win. And that was through like an effort with um, the UAW, local like Marxist and like Trotskyist organizations and a bunch of other like labor organizations. So I grew up in a state that has, a, you know, um, a very like militant labor history. Uh, this is a place that, you know, this is much like, say, Appalachia has the battles over the coal mines. We have like the battle of the bridge between Ford and his security forces and union workers. And we have the Flint sit down strike and history like that. That's just incredibly militant. And um, people, <clears throat> you know, what that attitude didn't stick around. But the idea that the union protected people stuck around for a long time. And then, as you said, the 90s came and NAFTA came and really stripped a lot of the unions of their power around here. They still have a little because of like the Buy America craze. People still want cars assembled in the United States, even though they don't care that the parts are made overseas. So if the UAW shuts down assembly, they still have some power. But as far as like the union goes, you know, they're obviously not what they used to be. And that was due to the neoliberal reforms under the Clinton administration and which Obama really continued. You mm -hmm. know, the TPP was another NAFTA, which we'll have to have an episode on on itself, too. There's so Absolutely. many. Absolutely. I mean, TPP didn't end up going through, but. By God, right. they want they wanted it to. I, I, I yeah, want to ask you something. You said uh, militant. You used the word militant, talking about the unions. There are, are you being literal, or are you? Is that just a way to describe uh, like how intense the support of of the unions were? I mean, these the UAW itself before becoming like inducted into the AFL CIO and everything like that before becoming part of like the labor bureaucracy was. And a legal union. And I mean, it started with the legal strikes and that history is what stuck with it, I think. Interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I really, really want to learn more about uh, labor union history. So I'm excited yeah, we to be able honestly to have tap from that UAW big fat brain of yours. Yeah, I think that I think we should definitely do it. And, and I think it's important because I think a lot of people, especially young people, don't understand the role of unions at all and right. and, no. and and i think conservatives are winning the 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 narrative war over over unions right now and it's pretty terrifying when you when you consider that they're slowly rolling back social security and also unions at the same time and of course the one union they ardently support of course is the police union which is less of a labor union more of a fucking mafia at the, at the you know well here like the police union was exempt from the right to work legislation oh they it doesn't even apply to them so they still have collective bargaining even though all like other public sector employees don't oh so michigan is a right to work state yep they wow. passed it they forced it through on like um what did they do they passed something first they passed some bill to like Oh, they passed like a law that like made it basically illegal to strike for public sector unions, and then they passed right to work during like a like lame duck lame duck session or something. God, that is unbelievable. So yeah, we became a right to work state, but they did it in a way where they like they avoided like 
the Capitol was like occupied for a while, but it was nothing like Wisconsin when they tried to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't quite that insane, but still, this became like a right to work state, which was a very big deal because it, it was such a union state for a long time. Yeah, that that's fascinating. I mean, that's shocking. The police are protected from that. They don't. They were written into the law that their constitutional right to like collective bargaining is still safe here. So now the unions are basically them. And yeah, eventually in the future, we'll have to draw a differentiation between like unions like, uh, I don't know, groups like the AFL-CIO, which have become like a sort of bureaucracy. Whereas like now the teachers union and the nurses union and stuff like that are becoming super militant all of a sudden, even in red states like West Virginia. You know, so that's definitely part of like American labor history that we'll have to go over. And it shaped me a lot. And then part of like my political history was also shaped by dealing with the correctional system where I uh, my first, you know, I spent a year in prison studying Lenin and Marx. And that's where I gained most of like my historical like lens to wow. ana- analyze things. I I totally didn't know that about about. You. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess. Uh, I don't think we can do the show anymore, man. I I can't I can't be friends with a with a, a, a with a felon. No, I'm just kidding. No, nobody uh, expects it, right? It's funny. Yeah. No, because I I don't view it as a big deal uh, no. at all. Um, nobody ever did in like the indie media world. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. at the same time, it's a radicalizing experience because the regular world looks at it as like a fucking mark of shame. I bet. Yeah. I mean, and I then bet com- that's- Combining that with like a year to read Marx and Lenin and fucking Engels and all of that, I mean it. It'll definitely change your brain chemistry. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up this little first segment here, and then uh, we'll be back after a short break. And why don't we talk about like where we stand and what we see happening in this country? You know how we arrived at the idea that we need a podcast, basically. Sounds good, brother. Let's talk think, about the merger of, you know, two horrible systems that have made the current world we live in. We uh, we have some audio we're going to share uh, with our listeners to help demarcate this part Speaking of the show. Of anti-communism, right? we got some. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll be back. our next segment uh another interview with journalist and author john vibes um we are going to start the conversation off in this segment talking about a very vague idea that people have a lot of differences on uh whether it be me or richard spencer or john himself uh it's the very general idea of the state and the state's role in society so uh, i guess just to start out john why don't you just explain what you feel the state's role in society is or if it's irrelevant all right so what i think that states are and what states have kind of always been in practice are a 
uh, territorial monopoly on the justified use of violence. So um, it's a group of people that are allowed to use violence in society and organize it according to their wishes and uh, nobody else, uh, you know, anybody else who fights back against it is a criminal. Um, so that would be my definition. And I, I don't think that that is a good way of arranging society. Real quick pushback then. Then what would you make of societies like, say, um, I'd say like, and I know this won't be popular, but Venezuela and North Korea, where uh, there's a concentrated people's effort to defend off imperialist forces don't you think the state is serving uh, a positive purpose in that type of situation uh no because there are people are who are oppressed under their states obviously right yeah i i disagree with the i i i'm, I'm on board with the venezuela thing but i, I disagree with the north korea I, thing but i support Vene i i i th- think that Venezuela would probably be a, a better place, well, a, until a couple years ago, probably a better place to live than here in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, I don't think that the, you know, there are a lot of people in the Venezuelan, uh, there are people in jail in Venezuela who, who haven't hurt anybody. You know what I mean? So I think if you go to, if you look at any country in the world, any state in the world there are people in jail who did not hurt anybody and that i think is a travesty so and i think that this whole state relationship is what makes that possible you know you got you got people in power and it's i don't think that the jails are about are about keeping people safe from murderers and rapists it's about like controlling society um well that's my. What opinion. would you say about the jails in, say, like Libya or Syria that contain some of the worst of the worst people, who were later released to wreak havoc on the region? Ah, uh, well, I, I'm not against the idea of of prisons in general for the worst okay. of the worst people, but I am against it for people who haven't hurt anybody. And I no, do. I, no, that, I agree. I think that that element. Uh, where governments use prisons as a tool of oppression for to to um, reinforce whatever kind of moral dictates they have or what, whatever um, or or to to get rid of dissonance that is a thing so like I'm not against organizing in society I'm not against coming up with ways for social safety nets for people like I was talking about UBI earlier that I am in favor of. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not against that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm against this whole ruling class type situation. So, I mean, here's one of my counter arguments would be Iran, who, as you know, was put on the axis of evil very early during the Bush administration. And Iran devoted a lot of resources to a defensive program. And I don't feel with I don't feel without a strong state and an organized ideology against imperialism that those regions could manage to do that. 
So I do That's- think as far as like the anti-imperialist states, whether they be on your side or not, you know, whether you like everything they do or not, like Venezuela, like Iran, like North Korea, whether you like everything they do or not, you can understand the reaction because they understand imperialism is knocking on the front door. Oh, well, like, I mean, I don't ever really criticize those countries in my work because I don't like to justify, um, you know, U.S. military intervention. Like, I, I, like, so, you know, everybody is so fucking wild about that Michael Malice guy. All the ANCAPs are. They love that guy. And, like, I, I don't care for him. When I found out that he wrote a whole book dedicated to, like, how bad North Korea is, I was like, dude, this guy, I, I, (laughs) I'm not interested in this guy. Not because I think North Korea is great. I actually think it's a terrible place. I think that the government, I think it's a terrible place because of the government. I think that the government shouldn't exist there, just like the government shouldn't exist in the United States. However, uh, I don't think that the United States is the good guys in their relationship with North Korea. You know what I mean? I think that North Korea is just defending themselves from uh, an imperialist foreign invader. Uh, but I also think that so so like the, the neo like a lot of the neocons say that we need a strong military here because of all these governments over there. And um, you know This position is like they need to they need to do what they need to do to protect from the from us over here, which like I I do understand that. But what if neither of the governments existed? What if Iran didn't have a government and the United States didn't have a government and we could just be free people? You know, John, that's where my question comes. I mean, that's in an idealist world, but at the same time, like. As far as like a government like North Korea goes, I fully understand the devotion to the Songon military ideology, which is an absolute devotion to ke- keeping anti-imperialists out. And to me, North Korea and possibly Iran have figured out the one antidote to doing that, and that's possessing nuclear weapons. So I think there's some points where like a strong anti-imperialist state is much better than a a free nation and i believe the idea of like say community or whatever uh like say community organization i think that's inherently reactionary because i think the community is uh an inherently reactionary exclusive uh grouping of people Without, without the show turning into an actual advertisement for North Korea and, and Iranian, <laughs> Iranian citizenship, uh, I want to drill in a little bit more to how you think, first of all, how in our current state are we going to dismantle these governments? For example, it's not enough for one government to be dismantled. All governments would have to be dismantled. How do you, do you, do you really think that's realistic? I mean, do you really think that all governments of the world are going to be dismantled in any kind of realistic framework the u.s has to fall first 
I mean, it's the it's, question was for I, John, not you, Jim. I know. I'm sorry, but I had to put it in there. I think that individual governments are going to collapse in their own time. Um, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily all going to be at the same time. I think that would kind of be crazy. However, I think it's very possible for it to all happen in the same generation because I I do believe that this idea of, of, of ruling class and having people telling everybody else what to do and making all the rules is going to go away in one generation it's a belief, you know what I mean? It isn't like some inherent way we do things. It's a belief. And the way that humans work, once beliefs get out, you know, they die pretty quickly. Um, of course, we see with religion, there's a lot of stragglers on and, and, and things like that. But just look at how much things have diminished in our own generation. And I mean, I don't know where you guys are on that. I consider myself uh, spiritual, but not religious. But um, so assuming that these states collapse, how would we? I think I think we can all agree there are a tremendous number of sociopaths, psychopaths, and I, I know this is a, a question that gets asked anarchists all the time. Uh, you know, where, where, where? How would a decentralized uh, community uh, deal with uh, a you know a proliferation? of unregulated sociopaths and psychopaths like how would you possibly deal with that well i i would say that uh right now we have a situation where psychopaths thrive in the most powerful institutions in the world you know what i hey. mean Hey John, I'm I'm gonna stop you for a second because uh, Jim is confirming that that we're getting static from you, uh, and I wanna I wanna try and figure this out. I don't think it was as bad earlier, but uh, Jim, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Are are, are you getting the? Uh, I'm, I'm getting, getting like a crinkling noise. Yeah, I'm getting a tremendous amount of crinkling and static, and it's I've heard it the whole time, but um. Uh, I, I think this is still all usable material, but if possible, it's not. Like, yeah, it's not been on my end, but it's been over uh, and until now. But that's weird. Uh, yeah, I know it sucks. I fucking hate. I hate stuff like this. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm only hearing it honestly. Like I'm only hearing it when John talks. Um, and it's like every time I talk. It seems okay right now. It's not, it's not every time. It seems okay now, but it's like, is is there, is there any kind of interference that's going on with the microphone? Like as you're talking, like, uh, like it's it honestly sounds like someone's shirt is brushing against the, or it, it almost sounds like someone's like crinkling some paper next to the, the microphone. Like as you're talking, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. I'm gonna check the. Uh, plugs and shit here. All right. I'm like, making timestamps of all this. Thanks, bro. Yeah. No, and it, it, it's not enough that we can't use a lot of this stuff, but uh, if possible, it, it'd be good to, to try and figure out exactly what's going on here. All right. And what I could do is I could just uh, mute when I... All right. So how, how do I sound now? 
You sound okay now. You sound great right now. Yeah. You want to jump back into it? No, no, no. Just, just, uh, uh, just, uh, I don't know. Read, read something from a book. Just talk, talk for a little bit so we can see. Talking if... and making sure that this is legit. Hello, okay. hello, hello. Yeah, I think we're okay. Okay, this sounds great. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Maybe something what... was just not plugged in uh, all the way or some shit. Because I, I just jiggled with the cords a bit and shit. Okay, cool. All right, awesome. Um, all right. All right. So um, basically, we have institutions right now that I personally feel empower the biggest psychopaths among us and have allowed them i mean look we got donald trump we got like all these fools all over the world um you know killing a bunch of people doing a bunch of crazy shit we got ceos running amok who are absolutely psychopaths a lot of times um so you know i think that we have the technology now to isolate people who need to be isolated from society in a humane way. You know, we could put people on certain types of house arrest and things like that, but our traditional uh, caveman method of putting people in dungeons has done nothing but, um, you know, just, I, I think it's just made society a lot worse. It, it makes people more psychopathic. If, if their tendencies because a lot well, this of this people... is go ahead this is neoliberalism this is the isolation that neoliberalism provides you it's ordering food through an app it's working through an app it's reporting to your boss through an app this is the type of isolation that it literally drives people insane so i mean i do understand like the motivation behind a lot of people yeah, and I think a lot of it is that, and a lot of it is childhood trauma, too, you know? Um, but there is a very small percentage of people, I think it's like between 1% and 3%, that have some psychopath gene or something, and they're going to be messed up regardless. So even if we create some, <clears throat> you know, kind of really... Uh, you know, society where children don't get traumatized as much and, um, you know, where people aren't in prison with this whole recidivism problem where they get worse in there, there would still be a small segment of people who would need to be isolated. But I do think that we can do it in a much more humane way than we do it now. And now I agree on that. Right. But OK, we're talking hypothetical year zero here the anarchist or communist whatever revolution is taken over correct so let's picture us at that point what do you do with i don't know donald trump james clapper henry kissinger hillary clinton barack obama george w bush what do you do with those people? Because that, uh, as a Marxist who's looking to upturn the class system, is one of my main concerns. Well, I mean, all of these people have... Um, all right, so 
<laughs> gotcha. I'm, I'm tr- no, no. I'm trying to word this in a way that isn't like straight up. Like, I, I, I'm trying to use this with trying to describe this without using the property terminology because it gets it gets iffy. But um, you know, please most forgive, of, please forgive Jim's bullshit saying of gotcha. That's that's not. A, it's all good. Nah, I, I can. He knows what I'm doing, man. Jim, Jim needs this. He needs this. You know. <laughs> I I can handle some friendly banter, but well, um, no, I he, say there's two options. You can either steal their wealth, or you can. Well, uh, let's let him answer. Sorry, I should put have been in Yankee Stadium. Let's actually well, let him. Let's let him answer the actual. Question. I am. That's the thing is that. Um, I do think that these people owe us reparations, you know, because they are oppressors. They have lived off of us. And I think that they have a whole lot of property that can be appropriated, you know. Um, And if you don't have cops to defend it, then you could just like people could just quote unquote homestead George Bush's property, you know. and there's that. And, and that is where I disagree with a lot of ANCAPs and a lot of ANCAPs would yell at me because they think that, um, you know, all these aristocrats who have amassed these fortunes through generations of, of war and oppression should just be able to keep it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, um, I definitely agree with you on that because clearly, uh, I mean... The gains of imperialism mostly enjoyed by the ruling class are obviously ill-gotten. And a museum should be raided and artifacts should be returned, you know. But I'm also a firm believer that people who have uh, done these things to us, people who've sent people to Iraq to kill a million Iraqis, I believe they also have a harsher punishment coming. Um, yeah, (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I don't know how much we can say in a podcast, but well, well, here, Jim, what are you talking about? Uh, What do you mean a harsher punishment coming? I mean, (laughs) I mean, I mean, Hillary Clinton and Michael Flynn and Donald Trump are all in the same prison cell. Here's the thing. Wait, Wait, you're talking about like hell? No, No, he's he's talking about guillotines. Um, or guillotines, or however the fuck you pronounce it. Something, um, something to teach him a lesson. So the thing is, is um, the, I don't, the I don't. mob never listens to philosophers. So it does not matter what 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 anybody hypothetically, theoretically thinks would be justifiable in the case of revolution, if if there is somebody who has made a bunch of live people's lives hell and they come around with pitchforks and the time has come, what's going to happen is going to happen. And, um, you know, karma will be served and n- nobody is going to listen to anybody with a book. Um, I just think that's how it's always been. Uh, so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I, I do. I I don't I, I, I want to get I want to ask you about something more specific because I don't know I feel like I feel like we can run in circles around our own farts for a million years but 
I want to ask you about um, something more specific, which is the idea of voting. Yeah. And I know that that you are, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are against voting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not one of these, like, voting is violence people or anything. It's just, like, in the United States of America, in these fucking um, presidential elections, I don't believe that anybody has a choice. Even the current situation that we are in, I think this is the most, uh, the most of a difference that there has ever been, and there is still no difference in terms of policy. Um, the only thing that is different with, with the only thing that Donald Trump, uh, that is different about Donald Trump from all of the ones that came before him is not policy because they've had the same policies in terms, you know, uh, foreign stuff as far as immigration. However, he has empowered this movement with his rhetoric. You know what I'm saying? Right. He, he's empowered this like white supremacist movement. Even though right. they were already there, they now feel like they're, you know, out in the open to recruit and shit um, because of that. So so to an extent, like this is the first time in my life where I see, oh, um, the the who the president is does matter, okay. but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the way people think it does. Right. In sure. my opinion, I, I, I think we're all on the same page as far as like our current neoliberalism uh, neoliberalist capitalism infrastructure is uh, a, a danger i think we can all agree i think all three people here can agree that the things that have happened in the last 20 years of our state and our lifetime well i agree the whole history of it i right I, no no and and i and i probably will agree with you but i want to get into specifically the idea of direct democracy and the the conflict between the idea of democracy and anarchism specifically and so for me i mean i know i know you probably think that a there shouldn't you probably don't believe in representational democracy like you don't believe uh, we should don't. You, you don't okay yeah. so like but right now where we're at and we have approximately 100 million Americans that don't vote. That's like a third of the population. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that if these people were voting, we might not have a better representation of how the actual people feel, a chance to flush out some of these sociopathic assholes who wield power and whatnot. Of course, we don't have the ability to flush out the CEOs and whatnot, which is why I have a problem with with certain elements of, of, you know, private capital described I, by anarchists. I don't even think that those 100,000 voters could have gotten Bernie elected. 100 million. Or 100 million, sorry. Yeah. I don't even think that, that they could have gotten Bernie elected. Would, would, because... you have, would you have been receptive to a Bernie election? Um, I would have been more receptive to a Yang election, personally. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. That's but, fascinating. Go into that a little bit. I'm, I'm interested in that. Uh, because I, I like UBI. Um, I think putting money in people's hands is way better uh, than um, 
you know, setting up some bullshit government service with scraps from the table that but doesn't. John, that's socialism. That, anyway. that, that, that's socialism. How how are you? You're an anarchist. That's so. Universal basic income is is socialism. Well, I mean, remember, I did say that I do think that um, the crypto community is going to do it in a voluntary way before the state does. So I have more confidence in that. However, I would still support, um, you know, I, I I would still support that as a policy in the current situation because I, you know, we're already in this state situation where everybody is being taxed and like. Right. Right. It's it's being spent on, you know, tanks and jails and all this garbage. Right. And I I think that it would just be way better to put it into people's hands because obviously everybody's in poverty. So, so like, you, so yeah, you I'm do not support against... a kind of transition into the system you're talking about. It, it sounds like to me, it sounds like and and trust me, like we're way closer, I think, on the same page here than that might be uh reflected but like you agree that we can't just like you wouldn't you wouldn't say that we just our whole society should tomorrow. just collapse like you you agree that there are actions that can be taken through the electoral system through representational democracy that are better for humans as a whole than not like you agree that we should have money in our pockets. If government is going to be taxing us, we should be able to get, for example, universal basic income, Medicare for all. Like, do you, do you agree with uh, universal uh, health care? Um, uh, well, I think that everybody should have health care. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't like any of the schemes that the state has come up with to do that. Um, but I definitely think everybody should have health care, even people who can't afford it. Okay, so how would health care come about without a state? I, and I know you're going to say in, in a volunteerist system, for example, uh, where people are uh, free to do what they want with their money and there's no taxation. How would everyone get health care? Well, I think that, you know, just... Well, for, first off, just because I'm against the state, like, doesn't mean I'm against the social safety net and all that kind of stuff. You know, I do think that people should not be struggling the way that they are. I but just it's a, don't. It's a state that, that provides that, though. I don't. What, what other centralized body would could, could provide uh, a social why safety Why does it have to be a centralized body? That's my thing. How else would it be regulated without it? What do you mean regulated? How else would you ensure that money is dispensed to the people who need it? I I don't think that ensuring it is is the way that I'm looking at it. So like, um, because that's how we get to this whole situation where we have this ruling class in charge of everything because everything has to be like guaranteed and there has to be no risk. Um, and there has to be some system and explanation of how it's going to happen right away. Um, but I think that these things are super important to a lot of people. And to back up a little bit, when you say that I think there are these things that can happen like through the electoral system that can make society better, I do think there are things that can make society better. However, I do think that the ruling class is in control of 
the electoral system and they don't want it to. It's right. like all these issues like that we're talking about, whether it's UBI or healthcare, most people want these things. Right. They're, they're only political issues because we have this ruling class in charge of what the you know decisions are made and stuff like that. And so earlier there was this um, point brought up about the direct democracy and stuff. And, and I, you know, why would I oppose that? I, I guess was probably going to be the next question. Um, and I, I do think that's, that's definitely better than direct democracy or than representative democracy. But there's also, um, you know, there's the risk of what about people who are in the minority viewpoint, you know? Um, and sure. so, so that is my pretty much my only issue with the d direct democracy thing. Although I, I think that there is going to be certain forms of that with anarchism, like, like, so if a community comes together and decides to vote to use their resources in a certain way. Is that democracy if it isn't um, it isn't like enforced with an army or cops, you know, if it's just some thing that people contribute to online or something like that, you know, um, is that considered a state or a direct democracy or is that something else, you know? Well, like, that, that's, I, a, that's a good question. It's a good rhetorical question. And actually, I. I I want to let uh, Jim ask a question here, but uh, I do want to come circle back around to that. And actually, Jim, do you mind if I ask another question right now? Jim agrees. Okay. So I was going to ask you about the idea of of healthcare uh, in the in the age of a pandemic. Um, how how would we without a dispensing centralized authority like how would we provide for people in the worst of scenarios like forget like an asteroid coming to earth and we have to organize to you know shoot the asteroid out of the air or whatnot uh we're in a low level uh you know pandemic right now and uh, i'm assuming you don't think it's a hoax and and whatnot. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that. I don't know. Uh, I've but... been hiding in my house since February, dude. <laughs> no, I and I agree. And, and actually, I, I actually wanted to get into the fact that you have had uh, a huge health scare in the past. You, you suffered cancer yourself. And um, I actually wanted to get into that. So actually, can you tell us how you're doing and, and what what you went through? So yeah, um, I had uh, lymphoma for a few years. Uh, I tried to fight the doctors for the first few years of it and try every alternative thing in the book, uh, both because, you know, I was scared of the surgeries and the procedures and I wanted to grandstand for the tiny audience that I have. <laughs> um, you know, and it was a foolish decision, but I, I, I don't regret it because I think like it's not a bad idea when to try um, right. things that might be less harmful or less scary first. If, if, if you sure. have low, a slow moving cancer, which I did, you know, 
No, I think um, it's very noble of you. Like, I, I honestly think you played it the exact right way. And I'm, I'm super happy that you were healthy, man. I, I, I was, I'm not even religious, but man, I was, I was praying for you, man. Seriously. I appreciate that, man. And I, you know, the, the support that I had definitely really helped me get through that. And I'm a better person for it today, you know, and Honestly, I feel like I don't know how I would have taken this current situation if I didn't live through that. Like, I might be like one of the people like, you know, going nuts right now saying it's fake. Right. I don't know. Did that, <laughs> did, did that change your view? Did your experience change your view on healthcare at all? Yeah, I mean, to an extent. I mean, I still because I have always like you know, I've always been a sickly person, um, because I have like an autism related eating disorder and I don't eat right. And I used a lot of drugs when I was younger, um, and alcohol. So I like really messed myself up, but you know, I, uh, I haven't always like a, most of the time I go to a doctor and they don't know what the hell's wrong with me. You know what I mean? And they don't even like try to figure it out. And a lot of times they'll just try to pass off a pill and it won't work and I'll get irritated and I'll have to live with whatever I'm living with, you know? And right. so even with my cancer diagnosis, you know, like I was telling them like something's wrong, something's wrong. And all these doctors just totally were like, you know, oh, you're just tired. And, you know, I had this giant lump coming out of me and shit, and they're still being dumb about it. So how, know, how did that affect you? Like, like how, how did, how did your, cause you fucking had cancer, man. Like, how did that make you feel like, I mean, how did it affect your, your, your actions, man? Like, how does it feel to have cancer, man? It is crazy. It's a very surreal experience, man. But like, it's, it, life continues, you know? I mean, it's like, it, it, I, I was definitely not, not feeling good. I, I had like random pains, like back pain and stuff like that. And I had just my, I had like brain fog and it was just pretty messed up time but especially when i didn't even know what it was because there was this whole time where i they didn't know what anything was so like it was right. kind of a relief you know and then it was like kind of not and then it was kind of also a relief because it wasn't like the worst type of cancer so then like right you know and and then i got this thing where like there was also like mass in addition to me being um cocky there was also like massive amount of peer pressure from my online network i bet to, to you know because i was definitely on the on the conspiracy things for a long time and i mean i still believe in all the stuff i did then you know with the government lying about every war and everything we were being told in school was a lie but sure um but you I had a, a renewed a renewed respect for i don't know i guess i have you, a you had a renewed respect for you I have a more balanced view on mainstream medicine and stuff like that now, for sure. And so, and, and dude, I, I fucking, I really, uh, honestly, I was really fucking worried about you for a while. And um, I, I suffer my own problems. I've, I've suffered with 
fucking chronic depression my whole life and and uh you know i'm on the spectrum for for bipolar and and whatnot and i've had family members you know hurt themselves and whatnot and so for me healthcare is very important and um you know when you were going through that stuff man i really was worried about you and i'm happy that you you got through it and i I'm inspired by the fact that you learn from that, that it's good to have like a, a centralized medical establishment that can help with things like that. Now, I, I know you might not see it like that, but I definitely don't. Um, but <laughs> okay. I, 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 cause I don't think that it being centralized or anything. I just think that like, um, right now we're in this situation where, um, so the 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 medical uh, establishment is obviously hijacked by corporate interests. You know, I'm pretty sure you'd agree with that. Sure. Um, and it isn't really based on helping people a lot. However, um, it is very good at doing certain things. You know what I mean? There are, there are a couple of of things that it is very good at doing i mean, you mean it's, and and would you count those couple of things saving your life because it, it seems like your life was saved by the medical oh, establishment yeah yeah 100 percent. but they they still don't they still can't figure out like half of my other problems you know what i'm saying um right right so, no absolutely no, they, they don't understand a mental illness at all it's it's something i deal with all the time but like I don't know. It seems like, well, no, even, even like physical stuff, you know, like I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, to go into a million tests and, and they still don't have it. And I don't think that we have the optimum situation. Um, but I think that it's also foolish to turn your back on everything just because it's mainstream. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what what did they do? What did they do that actually cured you? Uh it was the chemo. Chemo. Okay. And and that and that I imagine that was very uh messed up. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. I would say that like the the medical establishment saved my life for sure. But okay. I think that if it was not hijacked by corporate interest, it probably would have done, been able to do it a lot cheaper and a lot less painfully. You know what okay. I mean? Sure. So, I mean, uh, that, that, that's your opinion, but like, it's, it's well said. Um, yeah. I just, I think that the, the companies that are in control of that, that stuff right now, their, their thought process is not geared towards the patient at all. It's geared towards, um, you know, maximizing profits and such. And, I, I just think that there are probably a lot of better solutions that they are overlooking. Um, because I guess I, I just don't see are. how a, a, a non, I just don't see how a non-centralized state is going to make that better. I just don't, man. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just don't see how, um, I really don't see how a decentralized state and like. What is so favorable about centralization? Well, because you have you have people that can that have resources flooded to them, that can help you with that. I, I know that there are perspectives on how you 
in a decentralized state, you would have a volunteerist thing. But in a volunteerist thing, how how would there be money to flown directly to the doctors that are going to help you with a medical condition you have? I just don't see how it. I just don't see how that works, man. Um. Yeah, I don't. So, so you're connecting the the health and the government thing. No, I'm connecting, uh, like, money, basically. Um, and, yeah, no, well, actually, this is a better thing to say. Good question. Good question. In, in, in a state that you are imagining, how would you have been treated for your illness? Well, like, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even, you know what I'm saying? That's what I've right. been trying okay. to explain. Okay. Is that, is okay. that like, we're not there. I just, um, <coughs> sorry. Um, you know, gotcha. I, I think that it's something that we should work towards finding these solutions. That's why, that's like, basically the, the main goal of agorism so it's like um work towards these solutions like that's why i'm very into crypto because it's a solution to the banking system it's an alternative to the banking system so like if i'm very into crypto too man if i were met like if i were a doctor you know what i'm saying like if i i would i would try to to figure out some some kind of situation like this, um, I, I, I'm I'm having trouble trying to explain. Like, um, yeah, no, it's it's tough, man. It's it's because it, 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 I because it doesn't exist yet, and I, exactly. I know what you're saying, man. It, it doesn't exist yet, but what you're saying, and and I think, uh, and I don't think we should pull the plug. Like that's that's the other thing, and that's the big difference between sure. me and ANCAPs is like ANCAPs okay. are like against these programs and shit like that, and against the things that happen to them now. No, no, and that's exactly what but, separates you from them, and that's something yeah. I respect about you greatly about how you've fallen out with them. Um, really, honestly, I feel like it might just be this whole thing of like, what, when Obama was in power, like, it seemed like they were anti authoritarians, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and then like, it became obvious in the Trump years that they weren't, um, or that, you know, and, and the other thing was, is like, uh, I was like, very uh very very on the communist side of things uh really yeah 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 and then i went to occupy and i got in fucking arguments with all them people and that like definitely was arguing with people at occupy yeah occupy okay yeah occupy so and how you got this they were just like you know very very trusting of the system in my opinion they were just like you know we got to get the right people into office and like nobody was talking about the wars or anything nobody was talking about and they were like we need money for schools and i'm like yo that's the place that traumatized me get out of here with that 
this with some basic questions that I had that I jotted down in my notes before <laughs> That's I went. Fair. That's fair. Like you were talking like, like a little fucking ghost in the background. Like, we couldn't even fucking hear yeah. you. Yeah. Before I went mute, let yeah, me and John had me and John show. had a good conversation, man. I, I'm, I'm proud of that conversation. Um, the idea okay. of... Well, let's start here with the idea of UBI. Um, a UBI, uh, as much as I don't oppose it, um, I think under the current system, it's basically a waste of time. So what is your idea to propose a system where a UBI wouldn't be a waste of time? Because I, I worry so. that, well, I worry that a UBI under the current circumstances goes into lenders' pockets and landlords' pockets and it just gets siphoned off by the people who already make your life miserable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that people need, um, you know, uh, to be living on more money than they have. Uh, would you agree? Would you agree with like the idea of like radical rent strikes and stuff like that to avoid people taking more of their UBI because like landlords jacking up rent prices right away? Uh, yeah, um, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm in favor, uh, especially of what they've been doing in Philly. Have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, the reclaiming the houses and shit like that. Yeah, I saw uh, the lawsuit going through. Well, no, there's like people who are like squatting in these like publicly owned houses that were empty. They uh, recently won a victory too. I just yeah, yeah, noticed. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense then. And and then on the issue of healthcare, I would just um. I don't know. I deem it a vital public good. I don't. I think that a lot of the issues that people experience, and you kind of stated this when I was mute there for a minute, but a lot of the issues people experience are due to the heavy privatization of healthcare and the idea of a private insurance industry. So the question is I mean, without implementing a universal healthcare program, how do you get rid of the profit incentive from the current healthcare system? Uh, I'm not sure about that one. I mean, um, I, I think uh, I'm not sure if 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 you can do that. You know, um, uh, but there's uh, multiple state-run healthcare systems that do do that. And whereas, as far what? as like, they 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 were managed profit motive, like they because like they managed to remove the profit motive from like uh, even something as shitty as the NHS managed to remove the profit motive from healthcare, although it may be slow and inefficient. There is no That's charge. There is no profit. Although you can still buy supplemental insurance beyond that, should you want like optional treatments or plastic surgery or whatever. But what as far as that other, goes, uh, what about? Um, we'll see. Like the it, if we're like pointing to that, like, and it ain't even a good example. You know what I mean? Like, it, like you're saying, it's still inefficient and stuff, and it's still not. Um, you know, well, what we want. 
um, like, how do we know that it needs to be a state thing? You know, the issue. Well, I'd argue that it's inefficient due to um, uh, a highly uh toxic program of austerity as far as especially if you want to take the nhs in as a specific example right let's talk about the thatcherite reagan years and then the years of the uh greek financial crisis where austerity was implemented across europe and then further austerity by the tories who have been elected multiple times in the uk so these are people who are designing these systems to fail. And the, the NHS of 2020 looks much different than the NHS of, say, 1950. I mean, these people, these people design these systems. They design them with a good intent, but then they end up making them look See, obsolete. That's the, I think that it might be where I... I have a different premise. So, like, let's explore this. So, there is this idea that, like, the state is here to provide this or that. I don't think that that has ever been the case. So, I think that that has been a post-ex facto justification for the state all along. Like, so, I think that the, the purpose of the state is for the ruling class to control people. And they throw people uh, some scraps. They throw people some scraps from the table in the form of social services, and they say that that is the purpose of the state. So then we believe that the state is necessary when really it is just what maintains this social structure. That is my that is the premise that I have with this. You could possibly disagree. Now, uh, yeah, I would say I do disagree to, to an extent because. Um, I believe what your description and what your ideal of the state is, is a bourgeois state meant to serve the interests of the ruling class. And as you see in the United States, and I think we'll both agree on the revolving door politics of like major regulatory agencies and, you know, the executive branch and Congress itself we see these people from giant corporations rotating into these positions of power, right? Now, at the same time, I see, and this isn't a perfect example, but at the same time, I look at a country like China where a billionaire can be accused of funneling off millions of dollars in money or inflating profits, you know, committing fraud in all types of general ways, Whereas maybe you can argue the Chinese state is still capitalist, but this capitalist state is not subservient to the billionaires, whereas the United States is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are certain states that you compare around the you can compare around the world and say that some are better in this way or some are better in that way. But there is no place that I can trap like like there is no place that i can move on this earth and and be free under a, a government unfortunately i if there was a place i would probably move there um peshwar province where's that at <laughs> afghanistan i know oh geez like <laughs> yeah i don't, I don't know. know that's, that's my best suggestion 
I'll be getting bombed by the U.S. over there. Yeah, that's the problem with moving, is you can't escape the U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, and, and like, I'm definitely not trying to live in the desert either. Like, um... No, Arizona is for freaks, and Jake going to New Mexico is strange. Facebook <laughs> me to register to vote in New Mexico... Even though I live in Maryland, I keep on getting this vote notification to vote in New Mexico. They're trying to get you to do fraud. But I moved back from uh, Mexico. I moved back to Portland. What you're uh, coming in kind of faint there. Yeah, you're a little faint. Can you turn up your input? Really? A little bit. Can't hear me. But either way, uh, he you, lived you're in the desert. Now. He had a gecko tattoo. I'm sure. But we're we're getting sidetracked. I was coming in fine before. Why am I now coming you're in, fine? in fine? Now you're fine. Now okay, you're fine. good. All right. God. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll repeat what I said. Like I, I was living in New Mexico for a little bit of time. Now I moved back to Portland, Oregon, uh, and and that's why I'm recording now from uh, a secret detention uh, police police unit. And uh, I was I was arrested for being an antifa. No, antifa. Yeah, I don't oh, believe. What is your What is your view on antifa, uh, John? Um, I, I it depends. Like I, I like them. Uh, I am one. It depends on how you define it. You know what I mean? Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you define it by the group of people who are going out like to protests and stuff like that, I, I like them. Um, if you're talking about the idea, then I am one. Okay, cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, so, so you're not you're against people, uh, as I am, um, launching violence against. Although I don't know, like I mean, if you're against the fucking state and you're against police, what what's the problem with with a revolution against them? Because there's people who are property supremacists who, you know, they yeah. most of the people who have beef with Antifa are like ANCAPs who, right. you know, they they are like horrified by right. a station so, window. So, so, so who do you side more with? And are, are I mean, do you side more with the, pro the property owners than the people who feel like they don't have civil liberties? Well, I think that in the past year or so, I've really been forced to to uh, clarify my opinions on that and obviously side with the people who are, you know, expressing their lack of civil rights and such and, and not with the property supremacists. And even though I'd never, ever side it with them, um, it's just like, you know. I, I don't even know, man. You were around these people, too, so I don't know what happened the, the, during those Obama years, dude. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I wasn't uh, a part of any kind of, like... Well, no, but I, I never hung out with these people or anything, but we were all on the same network, you know what sure. I mean? Right, but I, I've always been, like, no, and, and I think we agree on a great many issues, but I don't know. My problem is I... I really do feel like the police state is positioned against certain minorities. You know, I I think that we're collateral damage, like um, like you know, white dudes that get busted by the cops and shit like that. I mean, we're 
were lateral damage in most cases. No. What do you think of the idea of the fact that the police state is evolving past even like these draconian like brutalization methods and the fact that we're basically as far as the power that silicon valley has i mean this is a a form of techno fascism that's really unspoken absolutely i think that that's definitely a thing um i would say that's a bigger threat don't you um I mean, it's hard for me to say when we have, you know, um, the U.S. military blowing up half the earth. I mean, uh, it's hard for me to say that anything's a bigger threat. As far as imperialism goes, yes, but domestically. Um, I think that it's all connected, man, because like, um, well, I don't think the police state's dying down domestically. Is is that that saying no but i think the dissemination of social media is what the fact that like a few media conglomerates basically like twitter facebook and a couple of other social media giants google itself own the conversation and they own how much uh commitment is given to these protests based on like the content that they post and that they promote which yeah, makes I mean, me more the... fearful than, you know, there is no chance for like an open independent propaganda because the people who own basically how everyone consumes their media is so in control of the narrative at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there. I think that those guys, I mean, the, the social media companies are like the robber barons of our age, you know? Um, so... Yeah. Um, there, I, I, I don't think it's a matter of it being more or less of a threat. It's like, it's a, it's a new part of the megalithic threat that we all face, like the big transformer. That's all the transformers put together. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I, I can see your point there. Cause it's uh, definitely all combined. I, I want to make sure I get, I get this discussion in and, uh, um, I realize this has been an unorthodox interview, but uh, I it's think cool. I've done plenty of unorthodox interviews, man. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But uh, so, where do you see us going in the future as as a human species? Because I, um, I I get into arguments all the time with people about who 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 disagree with transhumanism, the idea of like putting chips in their head or or whatnot. But ultimately what I come back to is that I feel like we as a human species are dominated by sociopathy, by biological triggers of violence. Um, It it seems to me we're a very flawed species. You have a great number of men who feel compelled to rape. You have a great number of men who feel compelled to a crew property that's not theirs. And my argument to that is that we need, and you mentioned this earlier, an evolution of consciousness. And I really want to talk about this because it's it's something that I respect about your work is that you talk about this idea of an evolution of consciousness. Now, 
I don't know if you've defined it in terms of transhumanism, but when you talk about an evolution of consciousness, what exactly do you mean? Uh, well, um, I'm talking about what is happening right now with, um, you know, the discussions about racism and marginalized groups and gender and everything like that. Um, the sexual revolutions that have been happening since the 60s, all this stuff is their evolutions of consciousness, in my opinion. And I think that we need big ones in the way that we think about uh, government and the way we think about business and uh, banking and growing food and all these things. Like we need an evolution of thinking in all these realms. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's basically um, people evolving in how in how they interact and and their belief systems their operating systems that essentially control their behavior right good use of words there in terms of operating systems but how do you see that actually coming about like for me like i i I don't see people changing anytime soon i just don't i'm seeing it happening I really? think it's okay. happening now. I'm seeing it everywhere. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, this movement that, like, um, you know, I mean, think about how, uh, like, yeah, we, we have a long way to go, and things are really ugly right now because there are a lot of people who are stuck in the past who are, who are fighting to keep that alive, you know? Um, but at the same time, like, things are definitely improving as far as, um, how we understand each other. Um, and I think that is what all these mean people are fighting back against right now because they feel threatened. Um, and that is a, it seems like a very negative thing, but I think it is a sign of more positive things happening. Uh, I think ever even since since we were kids, it is such a more um, accepting world, right? Then, uh, unfortunately, it's also a dirtier and um, more polluted world, and and so it's like we're dealing, we're juggling like all these different problems, um, right? You know. So, John, are are you a fan of uh, advanced technologies? For example, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, is taking over a large degree of our applications uh it's changing the job market it's changing a lot of different things are you a fan of the idea are you are you a fan of the idea of advanced uh, transhumanism changing humanity uh you know it with any technology i see it as a double-edged sword and I think that, like, while the the governments and the generals and the Mark Zuckerbergs and Jeff Bezos's are in control of it, I'm going to have a hard time trusting it. Right. Uh, but I also see massive potential with these technologies. They have the potential to free the world and to heal sick people and to you know, 
take us to um, you know many new possibilities but you know and, so, and the- so with this i, I want to get you into your science fiction and and this is where i think you can expand on you know where i just interrupted you like what kind of science fiction are you writing these days uh i am writing let's see how i could without giving away too many details but it, yeah, it, yeah you, no no plot spoilers but well, it, it is definitely about an AI program, and it is about a um, a, a type of um, uh, uh, let's see, I guess an implant of sorts that that people have that you know uh, gives them some type of special ability. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, and the AI is heavily involved with this implant situation. Uh, so it's very transhumanistic, you know? <laughs> um, right. So and did, it is, did you feel like that was a natural evolution of, of your anarchism into science fiction? Because I, I, I write anarchist science fiction myself. I'm, I'm interested in that. And uh, I think we've talked about this uh maybe privately in messages and whatnot, but like I'm interested in, in what you, how you would apply to anarchism to um, the ideas of science fiction. Like how, how do you view where we're going to be in 100 years? Like what, what's your view of, of how, I mean, you know, where are we going to be in 100, 100 years? Well, I think it depends on if, the people, you know, at large have control of the technology or if the people in control who have the control of the technology now do, um, if that made any sense. So, so like, if, if the power structures still have control of the technology, I think we could be living in a dystopian situation. But if it's the other way around, it could be like a utopian situation, you know? Um, as far as um, the writing, I think it's a really good, good illustration. It's it's a good way to put these very real ideas uh, in front of people in a way where they'll be less judgmental about it, and it, it'll be a lot easier to understand them. There was a interview that was pretty interesting with uh james cameron after he did avatar and he said something like uh you know if you want to talk to people about the iraq war and they're not listening you uh make a fake story and you put the iraqis on another planet and you make the people feel sorry for the iraqis in the story you know right Um, so is that uh, is that what you're trying to do right now is 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 uh, convert your your anarchist beliefs into science fiction because I, I think that's a noble goal. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm also trying to create a fun and interesting story, and I'm trying to um, imagine what the boundaries of this technologies that we're kind of on the precipice of could be. You know, but I also am having a lot of fun dropping you know, these kind of philosophical ideas in here. Like there's one scene that I wrote where this, uh, you know, they're working in this lab and this uh, more idealistic scientist 
is dealing with her boss and her boss uh you know is talking about the lower like you know the the poor people in a very like uh genocidal way let's say you know and one of the employees just brushes it off when she's kind of horrified about it and he's like oh uh he's just weird about his politics you know and so that kind of like illustrates uh, what I was trying to do with that short scene was like illustrate how um, people in today's world reduce very, very, um, you know, uh, violent uh, beliefs with very violent consequences. They reduce them to quote unquote political opinions, you know, like, oh, you're just mad at me because I have a difference of political opinion. And it's like, oh, when you're political opinion is genocide, you know, uh, it's kind of understandable. Well, I, I think this is probably a good place to wrap it, but I want to say I agree. The, the, the idea of, like, the technological future will all depend on uh, which group of society controls it. You know what I mean? It, it, it'll be between the haves and the haves not have and the have nots and we know the haves are trying to go to mars basically yeah you know and (laughs) it's an interesting it sounds very interesting and i'm excited i'll definitely keep tracking and order when we stop recording i'll tell you the actual plot and i'll give you the short uh you know, run down because I, okay. uh, I it's pretty I cool. I honestly can't wait, and and I'm sure we'll probably get better foot, better audio when we do that. But uh, I just want to take this opportunity to to thank uh, John for coming on our show and being absolutely very, thank you and being very honest with his beliefs. And you know, at times we we interrupted you and uh, this, you know, but you were very. Uh, generous with your beliefs and so tell our listeners like how they can you know see your work and you know you know give us a breakdown on where people can learn more about your work and what you're doing right now cool so yeah i'm i'm really active on uh both my social media pages on uh, facebook and twitter on facebook it's facebook.com slash jg vibes on twitter it's twitter.com slash john g vibes um and yeah so those are kind of the best places and then you can take a look at my newest um book which is basically a memoir about my time in the rave scene at raveoutlaw.com and all my other books are available there too all right great thank you and we'll talk to you again soon you turn the faucet on in areas where there's tremendous amounts of water where the water rushes out to sea because you could never handle it and you don't get any water you turn on the faucet you don't get any water they take a shower and water comes dripping out It's dripping out, very quietly dripping out. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. This is our interview with John Vibes. You can find more of his work at uh, The Conscious Resistance, and you can buy his books there.
Uh, you can also find his work on the Mind Unleashed and the Free Thought Project, as well as the Antimedia.org. Um, that was our first interview, so it wasn't perfect, but I think it was pretty good. And um, once again, my name is Jake Anderson. You can find more of my work at the Antimedia, Mind Unleashed, The Ghost Diaries. And if you want to look up my book, Gone at Midnight, you can find that on the interweb. Jim, do you have final comments? Uh, well, um, obviously, I am Jim Carrey. You can follow me at Geopolitics Alert. Um, I'll also be launching a collaborative series in the coming weeks with uh, the Greek City Times. We are going to be highlighting the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, as well as Armenian history. And um, we're going to have a lot of uh, written interviews. We're going to have a lot of video interviews and a lot of video messages to the people of Azerbaijan. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, you'll be able to see it on both Greek City Times and Geopolitics Alert, but I'm really excited about this project. And I guess that's it, and we will talk to you next week, yeah? Sounds good, man. Good good All stuff right. coming from you, and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Way down south in the land of traitors, rattlesnakes and alligators, right away, right away, come away, come away, right away, right away, come away. Where cotton's king and men are chattels, union boys will win the battles right away. Come away, right away, come away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must find his Uncle Sam away, away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away. We'll all go down to Dixie.